Hi everyone and welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. This is a last minute class. I'm recording this early Friday morning here in Israel and hopefully uh, you'll manage to listen to this before Shabbos and if not, after Shabbos is good also. We have arrived at the Parsha Beshalach. Beshalach means to send. This is the Parsha of the Exodus. Pharaoh is finally letting us go. We're coming out of Egypt. He's sending us into the wilderness and into our freedom. And also, in this week, we celebrated Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat, the 15th day of the month of Shvat, is, of course, the Jewish New Year for trees. Jews celebrate the New Year for trees. And so we want to connect these two topics. We want to talk about what is the connection between this special strange, a little bit strange holiday that we celebrate, the, the trees celebrate the new year, and we celebrate with them. And how is this connected to the topic of the Exodus, to the image of the Jews, the Israelites, uh, coming out finally from their bondage in Egypt? So we want to start with a little bit about Tu Bishvat and what it means, what, what happens in this particular time of the year that uh, merits to be called the tree's new year. So the the fifteenth month of the fifteenth day of the month of Shvat is really the exact middle of winter in the Jewish calendar. The three months called uh, Tevet, Shvat, and Adal are uh, this in, in, in together they're called Tkufat Tevet, the period of Tevet, because it starts with Tevet, but it includes three months of Tevet Shvat Adal. This is winter. Uh, it starts close to the uh, um, uh, the winter solstice, and it ends very close to the uh, spring equinox. This is what defines this period. So Shvat is the middle month of this, and the middle of Shvat is the exact middle of winter. And what happens in this time of the year? So the sages in the Tractate of Psachim, they say that what happens now is that most of the rains have already come and go. The earth has absorbed most of the, of the rainfall, of the precipitation that comes from above, from heaven. And, and so now growth is beginning within the trees. And Rashi explains that what happens is now that the earth has absorbed all this water, is that now the resin, the liquid within the trees, which in many ways is like the, the blood of the tree, the, the life, um, you know, life, life blood or life water that's within the tree, the resin starts rising within the tree. It's really the water that's in the earth that's coming up through the, the roots and the, and the trunk, and it's rising within the tree, and the first fruits are beginning to come forth. The, the trees are bearing their first fruit. And so the, the words here are very interesting. Resin in Hebrew is saraf, which means burn. It's like a slow burn that's happening within the tree. And the word he uses for uh, the, the fruit that's coming out of the tree is the Hebrew word chanata. Chanata is a special... Hebrew word, it only appears as a verb only once in the entire Bible, and that's in the Song of Songs 2.13. 
it says, Vehateena Chanta Pageha. So literally it means that the fig tree brings forth its green figs. It's, it's the, the early fruit, the fruit that's not ripe yet. So the verb used for bringing forth is Chanta. Again, a unique special word that we're going to go a bit more deeply into later on in the class. And this is the word Rashi uses for what happens on Tu Bishvat. On Tu Bishvat, the, the, the fruit that's still not ripe, it's just coming out, and this is, is described with this special Hebrew word, Chanata, that the trees are Chontim, their fruit. Um, this image that's very particular to Tu Bishvat, to this time of the year, is a very powerful image when you think about it as a stage in the creative process. And there's a stage, you know, when someone is beginning to create something, whatever it is, it could be a work of art, a work of literature, a Torah class, whatever it is that he's preparing, there's the early stage is just research and inspiration. You just read a lot of things, you listen to a lot of things, you look at a lot of things, and this is like the ground absorbing the rain, just a lot of rain coming and you absorb it and you, you let it, you know, come into you. You have no idea what fruit is going to come out of this. But you know that you need to, to fill yourself with inspiration and ideas. So this is like drinking, absorbing all the water. And then there's the resin rising, climbing through the tree. Again, the word for resin in Hebrew is saraf, which means burning. It's like a slow, you know, subconscious, not fully, not, it's not revealed, it's underground, it's in the roots, it's in the trunk. There's a slow burning and rising of an idea. It begins to rise within you with a quiet burn, inner burn. And then there's this moment when the the still unripe fruit comes out. It's just a, this and this is Tubishvat. Tubishvat is not, you don't have ripe fruit that you can pick off the tree and eat, but it's not uh, just the stage of, you know, the rain rainfall coming. It's the fruit just coming out. And this is the, the moment that you know you have an idea. You still need to develop it, you still need to build it, you need to, you know, it needs to ripen. And that takes time and work. But it's, you can see it. You can see the early, simple, preliminary version of it coming out. So this is really two bishvat. And we want to take this image now, we want to put it aside, and this word, the special word chanata, also we're going to put it aside. And now we're going to go into our parsha, and into the, the topic and the image of the Exodus, the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, and we want to explore this a little bit. And we want to understand the connection uh, of, of the Exodus to Tubishvat and growth and, uh, and trees bearing fruit. So, what happens in this parsha? Uh, parsha Beshalach is the story of coming out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, along with the song of the sea, the famous song of Moses and then Miriam, and then everything really that happens in between uh, coming out of Egypt and receiving the Torah, not including receiving the Torah. The, the receiving of the Torah will be in the next parsha, Yitro. And here it starts with coming out of Egypt, Parting of the Red Sea, and then everything that happens with the bitter waters and the manna of, uh, bread coming from the sky, and it ends and the and, and not having water and striking the the rock to get water, 
all the incidents that happen up until the war with Amalek, that's the very end of the Parsha, and this is just the final stop before Mount Sinai, before the receiving of the Torah. But in this year, we're focusing just on the Rishon, on the first segment of the Parsha, the first Aliyah. And this is really just the Exodus, and arriving at the Red Sea, the Egyptians are not even there yet to close in on them. It just says that Pharaoh sent them, and they came to this place called Pihachirot, which is on the, on the, on the shore of the Red Sea. And, and then it says that Pharaoh suddenly had second, thought, uh, second thoughts and he's, he, he decides to come after them again. Now, how do we connect this? So really, the first segment is just the coming out. That's, that's what happens. It's, it's after the ten plagues, but before the parting of the Red Sea, it's just this coming out. How do we, what, what connection can we find between this and the celebration of trees and growth and trees bearing fruit. So, there's a very famous basic metaphor, basic image, that is used for the what was the Egyptian exile and what is the coming out of Egypt. And this is the image that the, the land of Egypt was like a big womb. And the Israelites coming into this womb, first as just a small family or an extended family of 70, it's first Yosef, and then Yaakov and his sons and the grandchildren, and altogether it's just 70 people, it's the small tribe. This is like the seed coming into the womb, fertilizing the egg in the womb. And then, some time later, it's really 210 years, but it corresponds to the nine months of pregnancy, uh, they, they develop into a, a full nation, a, full, a whole people. And then coming out of Egypt is like a birth. The womb is protective at first, but at some point it becomes something that you need to come out of. And so the parting of the Red Sea and coming out is like an image of a, of a, of a birth. It's almost like breaking waters and it's coming out. So Egypt is like a big womb. So that's a famous image that's used many times. You can hear it in many Torah classes when describing uh, what is the Egyptian exile and what is the Egyptian exodus. But there's another image, which is very close, very, very connected, but it's, it's not used as often, but we can use it, and it's, and it's more appropriate for, for our class now. And this is the image that Egypt is like the ground, and the Jewish people, the Israelites, are like the, the seed that is planted in the ground, and then the coming out of Egypt is like the tree that grows out of the of the ground and bears fruit and and is has a life of its own comes out of the of the ground so it's a very similar image because the 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 earth is likened in many many civilizations to a to a woman uh, so the famous uh, term used for this not a very jewish term it's a bit pagan uh, that's mother nature or mother earth um, so Jews don't use that expression, but the idea is absolutely there in our sources that the, the, the ground is feminine in nature, that the skies are masculine in nature and the ground is feminine in nature. This is also used for the higher waters and lower waters of the second day of creation, that the higher waters are called masculine waters, the lower waters are called feminine waters, and the coming of the rain that fills the ground is called, in the Talmud, it's called Revi'ah, 
which is like um, uh, uh, fertilizing the the rain is fertilizing the the ground and there are many images that are used that liken the 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 earth and the ground to a woman and of course it really is like a womb that you plant a seed this is like a sperm you plant a seed in the ground and the ground is like a big the the belly of the earth it's like a womb and it brings forth the the plants so the idea is that just as we can think about egypt as a womb so can we think about egypt as a, as the ground, as the earth, in which we were planted, and then we now are now growing out of that, out of this, uh, out of this ground. So before we we go into this, just let's see a few things that strengthen this idea. Um, we mentioned before the, uh, no, sorry, I didn't mention it, but I was going to. I mentioned the verse. Uh, the fig tree brings forth its green figs. But the word for green fig uh, in Hebrew is a more is a broader term. It doesn't just it doesn't it doesn't just talk about figs. It's the Hebrew word is pag, pageha. Pag is the unripe fruit, but it's the the same word is used for a preemie, a premature baby, a baby that hasn't, that uh, was born prematurely. So the same word, pag, if we're talking about the coming out of Egypt as like a tree bearing fruit, then the same word is used for a preemie and for an unripe fruit, pag. So this, we're like a, a baby that's coming out uh, because now is the time. Maybe if, if we still feel that we need to be in Egypt a little bit more, we need some more time, but God is telling us, no, you're coming out now, no more waiting. Even if for us it feels like it's premature, we're coming out. We're still still un, a, a bit unstable. Uh, that's why we 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 keep missing Egypt and want to go back to Egypt and have this weird longings for as if it was perfect in Egypt because we're a bit of a premies. So the word is also used for a an unripe fruit. That is the image of a tree. We also have an image. In the in, in in the the sages tell us that when the the Red Sea parted, and the Jews were coming out, we said it's like it's a bit like birth, but uh, the sages also say that we there were trees, there were fruit trees, that were growing in the middle of the Red Sea, and that the, the Israelites could pick fruit from. So this is again strengthens this image, and even more forcefully, um, uh, Pharaoh, the word. The word Pharaoh, paro, can be the letters can be transmuted to the word he'afal, which means the the earth, the ground. The earth is afal. Afal is the same letters of the root para, which is the root of paro. So paro can be the word can be transmuted into ha'afal, the ground or the earth. So and Mitzrayim, which means uh, straight constraints. This is the constraints of physicality of the physical world of the ground so egypt is like this really what happens here and this is what we're what we're getting out of this that's unique to the to the image of egypt as a ground versus the image of egypt as a womb is that coming into egypt is like being buried it's a bit like dying and being buried in the ground we don't get that uh, when we're talking about the image of a womb, 
so we, we do have the similarity in English of the words womb and tomb. And, and, there, and we, we talk about people, you know, their lives stretching from the womb to the tomb. And we can talk about the womb as a tomb of sorts, but of course, uh, it's the very opposite. The, the womb is the beginning of life and the tomb is the end of life. So when we think about Egypt as a womb, we're thinking about the, just the beginning, that we're being born, we were just a small family, and we became a whole nation, and then we were born when we came out of Egypt. However, when we're transitioning to the image of Egypt as a ground, and us being like a tree growing from the ground, we have a, a new element coming into the picture, which is that we, when we came into Egypt, it was like being buried. It's like burying a seed. And as we know, the seed coming into the ground rots within the ground. It doesn't just start growing. It first needs to rot a little bit like someone who's buried, an actual person who's buried in the ground and whose flesh rots. So we're this, the seed needs to rot within the ground and out of this uh, process of decay, new life comes along. So now we have something new going on here. Really what we have is that this whole picture of the Israelites coming into Egypt and then coming out of Egypt is really the image of death and rebirth. Egypt wasn't just our womb, it was also our tomb. We, and we nearly died there. That was Pharaoh's plan. He wanted us all to die, or to die as a nation. He wanted to kill all the male firstborn, but really the purpose was to, uh, to uh, eliminate us as a nation, as an independent nation. So it was a bit like a tomb. We were about to die. We were going to die. If God hasn't, hadn't saved us, we would have died. It was like a tomb, but coming out of Egypt is like a rebirth or a resurrection. So th this is the image that we have now, that the, we are like a tree coming out of the ground, the seed needed to decay within the ground, so that's a bit like a, like a small death, and then the tree coming out is like the resurrection of the dead. So this is what we want to look into now more deeply. What does it mean uh, to, to die and be reborn, and, and how does this connect to the image of us being like a tree bearing fruit? So, if you open uh, the Alter Rebbe, Alter Rebbe is the first Rebbe of Chabad, Rebbe Shnor Zalman of Ladi, and in his book Torah Or, when he talks about this parsha, he doesn't make the connection to Tu Bishvat, but he does make a connection to uh, seeding and growing. He says uh, that uh, he quotes he he can he talks when he talks about this parsha, he quotes a Talmudic source in again in in uh, Psachim, which takes a verse from the prophet Hosea Hosea, and really gives us a an amazing, incredible, very important explanation for what exile is, and this brings all all of these ideas together. So let's start with the verse from Hosea. And then move from that to the idea that the sages uh, put in the tractate Psachim, and then we'll see what the Alter Rebbe says about this. So the verb in Hosea, I'll read it first in in in, um, in Hebrew, 
It starts, I'm just going to look at the beginning of the verse, it's the end of chapter 2 of Hosea, verse 25, and it starts with the word, Uzra'atiha li ba'aret, I shall sow her in the land. What is Hosea talking about? Hosea is talking about the, the Jewish people. The Jewish people is likened in the prophets, and especially in Hosea, to a woman, a woman who's unfaithful. God is the man, is the groom, and we are like the bridegroom. And a, a main metaphor in the prophets is that we are an unfaithful bridegroom, that we go and worship false idols. And this is what the Jewish people have been doing in the times of Hosea, and especially went to the uh, Be'alim. Be'alim is the, the Baal idolatry. It's like a, like a whole group of idols that the Jewish people would, would worship, and of course that's, that's a sin. And and so the the entire story of Hosea is that he is referring to us as this unfaithful woman, and it's actually told that Hosea himself married a prostitute in order to uh, uh, illustrate or demonstrate uh, this relationship between God and an unfaithful woman, and he had children with her, and it's unclear if it was actually if it actually happened or it was a whole metaphor. But this verse talks about uh, her redeeming herself. And, and then he says, I shall sow her in the land. And just a little bit before that, there's another thing that, that is crucial for us, is that, again, he talks about her being very unfaithful and very immodest and all of this. But then God says, um, I shall seduce her and lead her to the wilderness and speak to her heart. After he said, after God says that he's very angry and he wants to punish her, then he has a, a change of heart. And the change of heart comes about in the idea that I shall seduce her, this unfaithful woman, the Jewish people. I shall seduce her and lead her to the wilderness and speak to her heart, and I should remind her, really, this is what it means, I should remind her of who she is, and how she loves me, and how I love her, and of what he, she really, really wants. And what's important here is that he's talking about leading her to the wilderness. Leading her to the wilderness means going out into exile. It sounds like a punishment, sounds very negative. He's going to lead her to the wilderness, but not because he wants to punish her, but because he wants to be alone with her, and he wants to speak to her heart. The idea is that that the that coming out to exile appears like a big punishment. Why do we have to bear exiles? Why do we why why did we need to go to Egypt and then to all the other exiles? And also to all our individual exiles in this world, whenever we are far from who we are, where we are, where we should be, uh, our true essence, when we are when we're distancing ourselves from our true essence we are in a form of exile. So this feels like a punishment, like a curse, like what is, what is this happening to me? But God is telling us in this verse that when I lead her to the wilderness, in Hebrew, by the way, the word wilderness, midbal, also means, comes from the same root as speaking. So, is I should lead her to the wilderness and speak to her, because wilderness is all about reconnecting to this conversation that we have with God to listening to God's words speaking to us. The Ten Commandments are called Ten Dibrot. They were given in the Midbar, in the desert, the wilderness. Because the desert is where, when everything is still and quiet, you can hear 
God's words and they echo in the wilderness and they when they don't echo when when you're surrounded by other things so God is is seducing us leading us to the desert to the wilderness in order that he can speak to our hearts and then and then the next verse talks is that she shall answer me as in the days of her youth when she came up from the land of Egypt meaning that all future exiles are in order to restore our youth when we were young, when we were just being born out of Egypt, and we're, in, you know, in a fresh way, just hearing God's words, as if for the first time, and they're just, and they're, and 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 we fall in love with God. It's like reviving the infatuation, the early infatuation with God. That we fall in love with God, and we want nothing else, and we want to follow Him in the wilderness. God says in, in another place is I should remember the 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 grace, the love that you showed, that you demonstrated to me when you were young, that you followed me in the desert, in the land that's unsown. The the desert is a land that's unsown, and yet you followed me. So now this connects us to the verse that we want to talk about that comes a few verses afterward. After this verse come all the most beautiful, most romantic uh, verses when referring to the relationship between God and the people of Israel, that we're that he betrothes us, and it's, it's all very beautiful. And then we have this verse, I shall sow her in the land. So uh, we talked about um, us following God in, the, in an unsown land in the desert, but now God is telling us that he's going to take us the Jewish nation, the Jewish souls, and sow us within the land. So what does this mean? So now we're coming to uh, um, to Chazal, to the sages. And the sages, in Tractate of Psachim, uh, this is uh, Daf 87, page 87b, uh, Rabbi Elazar says the following. He says, the only reason the Kodesh Baruch Hu God exiles Israel, the Jewish people, among the nations, the only reason, it was only done in order that they add converts to them. This is what the sages say is the ultimate purpose of exile. The purpose of exile is that we go out into exile and then a lot of non-Jews who are really within them in their hearts, they're Jewish souls, and they feel this connection to the Jewish people and to the Torah and to this particular connection to God that's, that's, that manifests itself in the letters and the words and the commandments of the Torah. And they feel that this is, this is it, this is the thing, this is the creator of the world. He's not just something abstract or, or, or the, the way he manifests in, in other religions. It's, it's the way it is in the, in the Torah, the revelation of the Torah is the revelation of God's face, and they join the Jewish people, and and we're coming back to the land of Israel, we're coming back to redemption, much, much bigger. But then he says, how does, how does Rabbi Elazar learn this idea, that the purpose of, of the exile is to collect, to add to the Jewish people all these converts? He quotes the verse from Hosea, li I shall sow her in the land. And then he says, why would a person let go uh, or take some seeds 
and it talks about a, a particular measurement of volume called se'a, which is a small measurement of volume. It's a small amount. And you take this amount of seeds and you bury it in the ground. He says, why would anyone do this? The only reason he would give up on these precious seeds and plant them in the ground is because he knows that he's going to reap a, an amount that's much, much greater. That's a few korin. Korin, kor, is 30 times the amount of se'ah. And, and several korim is even more than that. So it's a hundredfold. So the idea is that someone, when someone is planting seeds in the ground, it's like an investment. And he knows he's going to get a return on investment, right? This is called ROI, return on investment. God is doing, is a, is a good investor. He's putting seeds in the ground in order to get a return on investment. So the idea is, that when God is telling us that He's going to sow us in the ground, this is like the idea that exile is God's investment. He sends us, buries us in the ground. Just like I said, that Egypt is like the ground. He buries us within the ground of the world, of, non-Jew- of non-Jewish nations and their lands and their cultures. And it's, it's a bit like dying. It's a bit like being buried in a tomb. But the tomb is also the womb. The tomb is also, this ground is also where we are able to grow. And as we're growing, we are absorbing holy sparks that are in exile themselves. This is like the non-Jewish souls. When we're talking about adding converts, we're we're not just talking about actual people, also that. But we're not just talking about that. We're also talking about, generally, holy sparks within non-Jewish lands, non-Jewish cultures, non-Jewish literature, non-Jewish civilizations. There are all kinds or places and things and people. There are holy sparks everywhere. And the reason that us as a nation are coming out into exile, and also each one individually, whenever we are, find ourselves wandering around the world and or doing things that we have no idea what we have to do, and sometimes it almost feels like we're being some buried under some, you know, avalanche or whatever, and buried in the ground in some place, and we have no idea why we're there, the answer is that there's a spark there, at least one, that we need to redeem and collect and raise from its its uh, um, captivity and reconnect to its holy source. So this is the converts. It's actual converts. It's also metaphorical converts, which are the sparks. So, now, the, the image here is amazing. The image here is that, again, coming out into exile is like we are the seeds. God is sowing us in the land. He's sowing us in all kinds of places in order that when we grow, the return on investments need not, not just to be a return. It needs, to, it needs to be more than what you invested. And you get more. When you plant a seed, you get a whole tree. So when we're seated, we need to come back. This is this is a, really what this means is that ultimately, when all the converts will join the the people of Israel, the people of Israel will be much much bigger than what it is today, and most of it will be com- will be comprised out of converts. This is the idea that that's happening here. When you when we say when we're likened to a se'ah, a small measurement of seed. Uh, planted in the ground in order for several korin, a far larger measurement, to come out. This means that the converts will be the the uh, will the main makeup of the Jewish people. But on a deeper level, it means that this extra growth, this blossoming 
and growing and bearing of the fruit, all this energy is not coming from us, it's coming from the ground itself, from the exile itself. The exile, in some way, the ground, the sparks within the ground, is like the minerals or the energy that's buried, that's planted within the ground. All this, it's, it's all exile, it's all negative, that's how we would think. But really, we need to absorb all of it, and we're growing through it, and by virtue of it, and this makes us grow and blossom much greater. So, the, you know, so in, in a deeper level, exile is because there's energy. The holy sparks are like, are like concentrated divine energy that can't be found in the realm of holiness. It can only be found in, the, in, in unholy realms, in exile. But when you're buried there, you're able to absorb it, and you convert it, metaphorically, literally and metaphorically, you convert it into, into divine energy, and then you grow out of it, not just in the sense that you grow out of it, you come out of it, but that you grow through it, and it, this gives you the energy and the fuel and the inspiration to grow furthermore. This is why this Parsha starts with the words, when Pharaoh sent us, is Pharaoh sending us? Pharaoh isn't sending us. It's God sending us. He's bringing out of uh, bringing us out of Egypt, but Pharaoh sending us, letting us go, on a deeper level, it means that we get the strength to come out and grow from Pharaoh, from the earth, from the ground, from the energy within the ground that's buried within this. Egyptian exile, and by extension, all exiles. There's an energy there that we need to, that it, it helps us. We're taking the sparks out of Egypt. This is why it's Pharaoh sending us. In the beginning of the second segment, it also says, And Pharaoh drew closer to us when we're on the shore of the Red Sea. But the, the word that's used here isn't, is a weird word. It means, Hikriv isn't exactly um, came drew closer. Is is more like he drew other someone else closer. He made someone else to become closer. So the sages say it doesn't say that he is hitkarev or karav. It means that he is a kriv because he caused us to come closer to God. Pharaoh caused us to come closer to God. He was God's messenger. He was God's emissary in a in a in a in a roundabout way in order to. Uh, provoke us to coming closer to God. The word for a, a hekriv, to bring closer, can also be transmuted to the word herkiv, which is to decay in the ground, like the, the seed decaying in the ground. So the two words together, ufao hekriv, is also vehaafar herkiv. You just have, need to change the order of the letters. It's the decaying of the seed within the within the earth so again the idea is that pharaoh egypt that's like a tomb it's something very very negative but there's an energy there that its root is even higher than the root of everything in the realm of holiness the altar rebbe talks about the two major realms of 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 the universe which are the realm of holiness and the realm of unholiness the realm of ktusha where god is revealed directly and you can you can feel his presence and the realm of klipa which is like the outer shell which is where we sort of speak experience the back side of god it's like he's turning his back to us 
In the realm of Kedusha, he's like he's turning his face to us. In the realm of Klipa, he's turning his back to us. Paro is the head of the realm of unholiness. Paro also means, we talked about earth, but Paro also means Orif, comes from the root Orif. Orif is the back of the head. This is the realm of unholiness where we feel that God is turning his back to us. But this realm is really, has its energy, is coming from a higher level, a higher realm of Kedusha, but it has, so to speak, been thrown, this energy has been thrown into, into the physical world, and that's why it's buried deeper down. The Jewish people is coming from and, and, and the realm of holiness and the Torah and God's revelation. It's all coming from a, realm, from a, a level within godliness that's not as high, and, it, and it's not thrusted downward, it, it descends downwards, and then it arrives on a level that's not as deep. Right? The idea is that the, the holiness begins from a certain place and goes down to a certain place, but the unholiness that's here, it, that's lower down, is rooted in, some, in, a, in, a, in a higher source, a higher level than the, the realm of holiness, but it has been thrusted, thrown into the ground. So we descend only to a certain place, but then, in order to elevate those sparks, we need to be buried in the ground. We're not, we're not supposed to do this ourselves. We're not supposed to go look for those holy sparks in unholy places. But when we're brought to those unholy places, we need to realize that the reason is that we elevate the sparks. So we are buried in the ground, in the ground that's afal, that's coming out of the oref, the back, God's backside, so to speak, that is his, uh, the back of his head, where he's not showing us his face, he's turning his back to us, and we're buried in this ground, but the, there's energy, and this is why it's Beshalach Paro, Hikriv, He brings us to decay, and he brings us, and he gives us the energy to grow out and blossom and become much greater, much stronger than we were before. Now, just to be clear, the image of the seed decaying, right? Ufaro Hikriv, Hirkiv, coming closer out of decaying, again, the same root letters in Hebrew, karav is to go closer, and drakav is to decay. The, the connection between decaying and coming closer is that what is decaying? Decaying is when we're peeling off all the outer layers and we're coming to the essence of who we are. This is what decay is all about. We are made of, of flesh and bones. Bones is like our essence. In Hebrew, it's the same root, etzem and atzmiyut, or atzmut. The bones are, is like our essence on a physical level, and the flesh is the layers that cover it. When, when someone is buried in the ground, the flesh decays, and just the bones remain. So this metaphorically means that when we're buried, exile, darkness, coming out of our place, being feel, feeling that we're dying, that we're being buried, all of this is in order to peel off everything that's not truly us, that's not truly who we are. This is like God seducing the woman to come to the desert in order to speak to her heart. He needs to get to her heart, to her essence, and he needs to do that only in the wilderness, when she's, so to speak, buried or sown in the ground. And then the flesh, the externality, peels off, decays, comes off, and just the essence remains. And then when we, are, we have rediscovered our own essence, uh, 
we can hear God's words. And so when, when the decaying happens, when the rakav happens, we can become closer, karov. We grow closer to God because we the decay is really the restoration of our own essence. And this happens in Egypt. This is why this is why we came down to Egypt. Egypt is the ground, is the tomb, is the place of decaying, but the decaying is really the rediscovery of our own innermost essence. And from that place of our essence, we remember God, and we come closer to God, and then we take all the energy and all the sparks that are in the ground, in the Egypt, that have caused us to decay, but also to find our essence, and we elevate all of it, and we come out of the Jewish out of, out of Egypt as a stronger, blossoming tree, much greater and, and richer and stronger than we were when we came into Egypt. Uh, now, the final point that I want to make here is something that's mentioned in the third verse of the, of the Parsha. After the description of being sent off, and being taken in a certain route that's not a direct route, that's a, a topic for another class. It says that Moshe, Moses, took the bones of Yosef with him, because Yosef, before he died, he made us uh, swear to him, give an oath, that once we're redeemed, when we're saved from Egypt, uh, we are to take his bones, his remains, with us and, and bring it to, uh, to the land of Israel. So this is coming really full circle with the end of Genesis. This is the third verse of this parsha. We're, we're quite far away from Genesis now, and we're sort of going deeper into Exodus, the book of Exodus, Shemot. But now suddenly we're remembering and we're fulfilling a promise we had made to Yosef at the very end of Genesis. And this is the final three verses of Genesis. This is the first three verses of Beshalach, but they, they come full circle, uh, closing the circle that, was, that began in the final three verses of Parashat Vayech, the final parasha of Genesis. There, Yosef tells his brother, I am going to die, and God shall save you and raise you from this land to the land that he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he made them swear that when this happens, you shall raise my bones with you and my remains. And then the final verse is, and Yosef died when he was 110 years, and he was embalmed by the Egyptians and was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the final verse of Genesis. This is how Genesis ends. Genesis ends, the final note of Genesis is Yosef dying in Egypt and being mummified, embalmed by the Egyptians and put in a coffin in Egypt. And Egypt is the final word. It's almost like now leading into the story of, of the Exodus from Egypt in the, in the book of, of Exodus. So the word we want to focus here is two things really. It's what is it? What what do the bones of Yosef symbolize, and why does the Torah bother telling us, describing to us this process of embalming or mummifying 
that was done to both Yaakov and Yosef in the fin- in the final parish of of Genesis, and and now is coming to full fruition when Moses is now fulfilling this promise and taking taking all the bones and the remains of Yosef and bringing it with with us with the with us when we're coming out of Egypt. So first we have to note the incredible fact that the Hebrew word for embalming, which must be very close to the Egyptian word because they were close civilizations and close languages, is the Hebrew word for embalming is chanita. This, of course, reminds us of chanata, which is the bearing of the unripe fruit in the beginning of the fruit's growth. Very strange, very uh, rare words in Hebrew that mean totally different things on the surface and that come from exactly the same root. So the, the action is called, embalming is called chanita, and the bearing of the fruit is called chanata, but the, the root is the same root, it's chanat, chet nun tet. What is the connection between these, these two things? And the incredible fact that we read about the raising of the remains of Yosef, the taking of the remains of Yosef that were embalmed, uh, in Parashat Beshalach, which completely coincides in the time of the year to Tubishvat, the middle of winter, when the, the trees are beginning to bear fruit, to lachnot their fruit. There must be a connection. We're coming out of Egypt, and the Egyptians are so famous for their mummifying of the dead and their embalming of the dead. And Yosef himself and Yaakov were embalmed. Yaakov was already taken to the land of Israel, but Yosef not. So, uh, uh, this is very interesting, by the way, that Yaakov was taken immediately after dying and being embalmed, he was taken to the land of Canaan and buried there. But Yosef could have made the same, we were still, you know, the Egyptians were still kind to us back then, and he could have said, once I die, take me to the land of Israel. But he said, no. He says, and it's going to take almost a century and a half, he says, I... You take me when you come out of Egypt. He knows that you're going to, all of you come out of Egypt. Yaakov maybe wasn't so sure. And and he was immediately taken. But Yosef is taken, I don't know, I don't care how long it takes, but finally God will take you out of Egypt, not in your generation, another generation. But it'll happen, and remember this. Take my remains, take my coffin back to Israel, to the land of Canaan, which would be the land of Israel later on. So Yosef, the, there's this amazing coincidence that in Tubishvat, when the, the fruit are beginning to come out, and this is called Chanata, the fulfillment of the promise made to Yosef, which brings us to the end of Genesis, is fulfilled, and there we see that the whole point, and the fact that he could remain in a state that we can carry him with us, is that he was embalmed in this process of Chanita. Now, it appears that these two words or actions, are absolutely opposite. Uh, The embalming of the dead is in the end of life. And when someone dies, you embalm them so that they don't decay. And that's what the Egyptians were all about. They wanted, they thought about the afterlife as something very physical, and they wanted to preserve the bodies and their properties and their slaves, and everything would be buried so that your physicality would remain. And the chanata of the fruit, the coming out of the fruit, is the beginning of the fruit's life. It's not the end of the fruit's life. It's just coming out of the ground. 
But since we're talking in this class, this whole class is about death and rebirth and or resurrection. We can see that they're absolutely connected, these two things. When the e Egyptians embalmed their dead, they didn't think about this as the end of life. They thought about this as the beginning of life. They embalmed the dead so that the, he was. Pre, they were preparing him for the beginning of his journey in the in the the underworld or the world of the the world to come, according to their perception of the world to come. They didn't realize that the soul and the body are two separate things. That the body needs to decay in the ground, and the soul, which is a different thing, a spiritual thing, goes up to heaven later on to be resurrected in the resurrection of the dead, because the ideal is a soul within a body. It's not just a soul outside of a body. So they identified the, the soul and the body as one thing, and they wanted to embalm the body. It's like preserving the soul. But they, what they did get right is that the end of life is not the end of life, that it's really the beginning of a new stage of life that the embalming is preparing you for. And so... The, um, there's a, this connection between embalming and the coming out of the fruit that has to do with the fact that when you die, it, you don't really die. It's being You're being planted in the ground just like a seed is being planted in the ground in order to, to undergo a certain process of revival, of resurrection, and then you come out and in a, in a, in a, in a, in a greater, in an improved form in some way. So what we get from this is that the it, this parsha b'shalach, which is the story of the actual Exodus coming out, this is the heart of the book of Exodus in a way because it, the the Greek name Exodus in Hebrew it's Shemot, but the Greek name is all about the coming out, and this is the coming out. It's in this parsha, right? Next week there will be another kind of heart. It will be the giving of the Torah, but now it's the heart of the Exodus itself connects this image of, you know, the Egyptian exile, it was uh, the whole Jewish people, but it started with just one person. Just like I said before, that exile could be understood uh, on, the, on a nation level, and also on an individual level. On an individual level, it, it, that's how it began. It was one person, Yosef, Joseph. Yosef was put in a pit and sold to the Ishmaelites and brought to Egypt and put in another pit in the prison, and then came out, and all of Egypt was like a big punishment, a big exile, a big tomb for him. But he was able to resurrect himself, so to speak, and, and grow out of these challenges. And But then he was embalmed there, and then that led to the entire exile of the Jewish people there. And now the circle is complete, and we're coming out, and the idea is that all of this Egyptian exile, was like one big chanita, one big embalming or mummification. We were we were buried in this Egyptian coffin, and put in those in these bandages, in order that we undergo a process of of certain decay. Right, the embalming was, and not that we don't decay, but what happened was it all came together. The when the brother the, by the way, Yosef wasn't. It didn't work for him. It says that Yosef, he did his his flesh did decay. Uh, so it, it's like a combination. The idea, the image is of an embalming and a burying that we need. We're put in this ground in order that we go through this process of peeling off 
of everything that's not essential, and then we recall our essence, and then we're able to come out. Yosef is, in a way, the heart of the Jewish people that symbolizes the entire Jewish people coming into Egypt, coming out of Egypt. The final word we need to address is the Hebrew word for the bones of Yosef, atzmot Yosef. Atzmot, as I said before, the word for etzim, bone, is the same word for essence, atzmut. So atzmot Yosef can be read as atzmut Yosef, the essence of Yosef. Yosef had a lot of things about him, but the coming into Egypt, which again embodies the entire Jewish people coming into Egypt, was in order to be buried and to restore, recall our essence. And now coming out of Egypt, like the fruit that comes out, again, we were embalmed at the beginning of coming into Egypt, and now this embalming, this chanita, leads to this chanata, the coming out of the fruit, the, the unripe fruit that's just beginning to discover its freedom and its calling and its mission in life, is coming out, but what's coming out is the essence of Yosef. What was buried was Yosef, along with everything that's, that wasn't essential to who he was. When we came down into Egypt, we, we weren't re connected to our essence as much as we are connected coming out. And all of this happened because we survived and dealt with the exile and the bondage and the cruelty of Pharaoh and all of this negativity around us was just uh, this extreme, extremely potent energy that we need to absorb, and this connects us to our essence and enables us to regrow. So we should take this as a, as a lesson to everything, to our own particular individual exiles and hardships that we go through in this world. We don't know why we need to come out into exile, to be forced not to be where we want to be and where we feel we should be and where we're connected to who we are. We don't know why this happens, but the truth is this process, this is done to us. We're distanced from our home and from our comfort zones and from what we become, we've become used to and accustomed to. And we come out into all kinds of exiles, the COVID challenges and exile, everything we deal with when we're, we lose our job or where we uh, find ourselves, you know, looking for something else to do or, or doing things where we, we, it's hard for us to do. All this is, is subtle forms of exile. So when this happens, we need to understand that we are like a seed planted in the ground in order to peel off everything that's not essential rediscover what's essential, absorb all the sparks, all the energy that's buried in this ground with us, and that the reason we were planted here is to absorb this, and then we can come out of it, and we are being sent off, we are being brought forth outside by this hardship. Paro is the one letting us go, sending us off into our liberty. We are coming out of this stronger, more powerful, more we blossom and we bear fruit because we have been through these hardships and this exile. So with this, we end our shiur for today, and may you all have a great Shabbos and a great week, and a happy belated Tu Bishvat, and I will see you again next week.